Christ, our hope in life and death. That is a, a great way for us as we begin together this morning, but also it just fits right in with, I wanted to be sure to say thank you to all of you who brought food and helped and served in any way with the Lindholm funeral this past uh, Friday morning. Thank you. The family was very grateful for your involvement, for the meal that we provided, and for the time together. Um, so anyway, and I, a Christ, our hope in life and death. You know, when, when somebody goes home to heaven who knew Jesus, well, they wouldn't go home to heaven if they didn't know Jesus, but when they go home to heaven at death, Christ, our hope in life and death. Man, that just makes it so much better to be able to speak in a funeral service with that knowledge and confidence. Christ, our hope and death. Wow. So thank you, folks, for that. Uh, open your Bibles, please, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look at uh, the first five verses this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, and we're going to continue our study in First uh, Peter, um, and we're getting close to the end. I am giving real thought and consideration. We're going to do, remember when we ended First Corinthians, we did some appendices? Well, I kind of like that idea. And uh, we're going to, and this is one of the areas of chapter 5 here, these first five verses, we're going to dig in deeper. So I'm not going to go as deep today, because I know we're going to do that down the road, but as we look this morning, so Peter says in uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 1, to the elders among you, to the elders among you, today I'd like to talk with you about the elderly people among us, all right, the elderly people, are there any elderly people in attendance? Uh, there's a couple, some of you don't want to admit it, all right. And I guess that's all relative, right? Sure it is. Uh, but I came across a list. Actually, I had Sylvia looking for some stuff as she was putting the, my notes together this week. And, and she came across a, a list, 40 things only older people say. So folks, don't be upset. Don't be offended. If this is you, just laugh. If you don't understand what it means, just laugh. <laughs> and for those of you that are younger and have no idea what we're talking about, just laugh, okay? So here we go. 40 things only older people will say. Number one, back in my day, <laughs> right? You're all going, oh man, I say that all the time. All right. How about number, now there are 40. We're not doing 40. I just pulled out six or we would have been here the whole time, right? I left a message on your answering machine. Some of you are going, what's an answering machine? All right, that's what I mean, all right? Remember, older folks, laugh, all right? Here, I printed the directions from MapQuest. Ever do that? Yeah, all right, here's another one. Uh, why would I pay for water when I can get it for free out of the faucet? Good question. All right, here we go, number five. I never use a credit card on the internet. 
I remember my mom and dad doing that. Like they were, anyway, I'll leave that. All right. And here's, here, now folks, here's the last one. Here we go. <laughs> I said to Sylvia when we saw this, I don't want to know if to use this one because nobody does that annually. Oh, all right. Well, anyway. <laughs> Some, see, some of you, first of all, don't even know what a colonoscopy is, and some of you have no idea what it means. What do you mean you don't do it annually? Uh, no, okay, anyway. So we're not actually going to talk about elderly people, so everybody can, elderly can relax, right? But we're going to talk about elders. So follow along with me, and uh, in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a copy of the Bible, and you can pull that out in that Bible, page 852, 852. And we've been talking all along here, folks. We started it, and John Mitchell last week when he preached reminded you that we had talked about maybe memorizing some verses, maybe a verse from each chapter, or maybe a section here or there. And uh, so as we look at it, I hope you're marking up your Bible, that you're memorizing some of these passages of Scripture. But here we go. Follow with me as I read uh, the first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 5, in the same way, in the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, as we look at this, do you, do you know what an elder is? You don't have to nod your head or raise your hand, but as we're going to talk about elders, Peter is talking to elders. He starts by saying to the elders among you, who's he talking to? Who are Elders, do you know that? No, we're not talking older people. That would be true to a degree, but, but age in that regard, older and younger, sometimes also has to do with the level of spiritual maturity, not just how long we've been alive on the earth. But, but here, to the elders among you, so who is an elder? What does an elder do? If you know what an elder is, do you know what an elder does? Are there any elders at Heritage? If so, who are they? You're like, oh, this is Sunday morning. Don't give me a quiz. Uh, what in the world? What? Well, I hope that we can be of a help to you this morning. So, so look there at verse 1. To the elders among you. And I, I have up here a little bit of description as we look back. to So presbyteros. And I'm not giving you a Greek lesson this morning. I mean, I was taught years ago when you preach, don't go, don't go there. Most people have no idea what you're saying and so, but there are different words used in the Bible that we translate into the English. Presbyteros, you get Presbyterian from, but the word elder, all right, it's there. And to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Peter was saying, 
I'm also an elder. I'm talking to the elders of the churches in the, in the areas that he listed at the beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1. And he says, I'm also an elder. Yes, he was an apostle, but he was an elder. What does it mean? He was a pastor. Peter pastored the churches. And so then we look, okay, so there you have an elder is a pastor. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is among you. Uh, 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 that is under your care, watching over them. Now, be shepherds. That is a word that we use for pastor. Poimeno. That's the word. And, and it's the word that we typically translate pastor. It's typically the, ter- the word that we use for all of the words. We, we don't use the word elder, even though the word elder is by far used more often than the word shepherd or pastor in the New Testament. But there it is, shepherds. Poimeno, of God's flock that is under your care, watching over. That means being an overseer. That's the word episkopos, watching over them. So there are three different words that we see in these two verses that Peter talks about are the words that we use throughout the New Testament to describe pastors. We know what pastors are. You would call me a pastor, all right? We will call Scott. We do call Scott a pastor. We hope to call Mitch a pastor one of these days. And so as we work through this, that's the words that we use. Those three words. Overseer is this word, watching over. Some churches will not use the word elders. We have a group of elders. We have a group of overseers. And, and so as we work through this, that's what we're talking about. All three titles for pastor are used in this text. And Peter is talking to the spiritual leaders of the churches. That's what he's meaning. Times of persecution and suffering that the churches that he's writing for, and again, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, the beginning few verses there, he identifies where the, the churches, the believers to whom he's writing, are there, and, and so we understand times of persecution and suffering demand that God's people follow God's pastoral leadership, God's spiritual leadership. That is critical. Anytime, but certainly during times of suffering and persecution, and that's why Peter's writing this letter, because that's what a lot of the churches to whom he is writing, the believers are experiencing persecution and suffering for no we're not talking physical ailments folks we're not talking loss of loved ones we're not talking uh broken relationships and the suffering that happened we're talking because no other reason i know jesus and people are persecuting me because of it that's what we're talking about that's what we mean in first peter chapter one and through these these and now through chapter five so peter is writing to the churches, and he's saying, in times of suffering and persecution, you need to follow God's pastoral leadership. So Peter is identifying, I'm looking at this, saying two essentials, two biblical essentials for living differently in difficult days. Two biblical essentials for living differently in difficult days. So here's first biblical essential is pastoral leadership, verses 2, 3, and 4. Pastoral leadership. The need for godly pastoral leadership is crucial. Um, It's critical. And Peter is telling these pastors, he's talking to the elders. 
And he's telling them how to lead their churches, how to shepherd their flock. Verse 2, he says, be shepherds. That's the word we use typically for pastor. But it's the same as elder. It's the same as overseer or bishop. And he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over, overseeing them, overseeing the church. The primary role for pastors is to be shepherds. It involves a whole lot of things. And, and, and when Scott and I were praying this morning, he said, how can I pray for you? I said, there is so much here. I can't get off on rabbit trails all over the place or we're just going to deal with this. So, so the primary role for pastors is to be shepherds of God's flock that is under their care. To take the oversight. That means to take the leadership. That's the job of a pastor. To take the leadership, and, and as we read that, of God's people, which we call the church, right? The Bible refers to that as the church. It is not an optional assignment for a man called of God to be a pastor. He must take the oversight. It's a command. It echoes Christ's command at the end of John, John chapter 21, after Peter had denied three times that he knew Jesus, and then Jesus had risen from the dead, and they'd gone back out fishing, and, and Pete, they're, they're not catching much. You remember the story at the end of John 21, but Pete, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And that's the same idea here. God's flock, the church, needs pastoral leadership. Sheep need a shepherd. And we as believers are referred to over and over and over. And this is just not a New Testament thing. All throughout the Old Testament, that was in a very agrarian society. And, and so to talk about shepherd and sheep, the nation of Israel knew exactly what was going on. And so we get into the New Testament, and it's the same thing. God's sheep need a shepherd. And, and the shepherd is to keep them from wandering away. The shepherd is to protect them from the dangers of wild animals and thieves. We'll look at um, a few verses ahead when Peter says to the believers, be careful, Satan like a roaring lion is walking around looking to nail you, to devour you. That's what shepherds are there to do as well. To feed them, to feed the sheep, to find the sheep, even when at personal risk they're lost. Jesus talked about the the, 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 the story, the parable of the, of the shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them was lost. He left the 99 to go find the one. That's what pastors do. That's what shepherds do. Their job is also to prevent one sheep from taking advantage of another. That happens. When we preach to the 23rd Psalm, we mentioned a book to you. The sh a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, talked about those kinds of things. Uh, I believe that was by Philip Keller. And um, so, so he talks about that. Uh, it is to maintain unity within the flock. That's right. A real live flock of sheep can become disunified. And the shepherd has to make sure that doesn't happen. To exercise individual care. And here, as we go on into verse 2, Peter lists three motivations for pastors, for shepherds, for elders, for overseers. Three different motivations. He says, in the ministry you've been called by God to do, he says, first of all, there in verse 2, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you, here it is, not because you must, but because you're willing. That's the first motivation. 
Not because you have to, but because you get to. More so, because you want to. You know, um, it's the idea of willingly serving as a shepherd, as a pastor, as opposed to grudgingly do it. It's like, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I don't feel like going up to my office. I don't feel like meeting with people. I don't feel like getting ready to pre grudgingly. No, no, no. If, if, I, if, if I experience that on a daily basis for months and months at a time, I'd be in big trouble, and so would you, right? Because there's a willingness to serving as pastor that has to be there, and not grudgingly, but willingly, not because you have to, but because you want to. Pastoring sheep, sheep, shepherding sheep cannot be an unwanted burden. Not serving out a sense of guilt or out of a sense of fear. Not just hanging on because who else will do it? Now, maybe that's what God is using, but then that means that this shepherd has to make sure his heart is, is right before God. Not to simply please people. Right, First Timothy chapter three and verse one, Paul talks about there in those first seven or eight verses. He Paul gives us the the requirements, the characteristics which all of you ought to be very, very familiar with, because we've been praying. We took June and July to pray together because that's what describes the the new lead pastor that's going to be here. And uh, though though uh, you know I'll still be a pastor, plan to hang around for a little while, but the new lead guy, he, it's going to be important that he fits the responsibilities. Well, verse one begins. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, that's the NIV. Translates, translates it overseer. It's the same thing. Whoever desires to be a pastor, whoever desires to be an elder, same word, folks. There are small, I think, nuances of the different words there, but ultimately they're synonymous. They're referring to the same, and he says, that whoever wants to be an overseer, a pastor, he has to desire to do that. And as we talk about that word aspire here means to stretch out, to exert much effort and energy. And then he says willing as God wants you to be. Must be willing, comma, as God wants you to be. That, I think that's an evidence too of God's calling and direction. To the life of an individual who's going to serve as a pastor or an elder or an overseer. And that's what he means by this as he's talking, a sense of God's calling, his direction. I got to stop right here and say, listen, and, and this is one of those areas where I could get going way off target and, and we'd be here still at noon. Folks, in our pastoral search, we are finding, and we knew this before we started, that the amount of options available to fill the churches all over this country who are without pastors, there are more openings in churches than there are viable options to fill them. You know what that means? And there's all kinds of reasons. This is one of the trails I'm not going to go down. I can tell you all kinds of reasons. But here's the what does it mean? It means after for years the church has, I believe, abdicated their responsibility of raising up the next generation of workers for the harvest to the Bible college or to the Christian college rather than doing it as the church. We got to get back to it. 
because there are Bible colleges and Christian colleges closing all over this country. They already have, many. We as a church have been given the responsibility to raise up the next generation of pastors and missionaries, folks. That's a real burden that Asa and Suze have. Again, that's one of those things, are you sure you really want to go to Peru right away? You guys could hang around here. And, right? But, but the deal is, folks, we need to be at it. We're getting at it. We are in the process. We are already working with the possibility of somebody to step into an intern, a layperson, an internship or a residency, whatever we want to call it. Why? To wonder if God, to be praying, thinking about, does God want me to be a pastor? I want to ask you men here today, young or old, have any of you thought about, prayed about being a pastor or being a missionary? Are you praying? Because you know what? It may be that God wants you. There are more openings in churches today that don't have pastors than there are qualified, viable men to fill those spots. That's what we know. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's Matthew 9, 38. We need to pray. And, and, and I'm saying it right here. We need to have a desire. Men need to have a desire to be pastors. Secondly, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Enthusiastically as opposed to selfishly. Serving with enthusiasm and excitement as opposed to for what I can get out of it. For the popularity, the, the praise, the, hey, pat on the back. Hey, good job. Appreciate that. And and, and all of those things that come along with it. And I'm not going to dig in here to the dishonest gain as much because that would be another one of those lengthy discussions. But, but the idea here is it doesn't say not pursuing gain. It says not pursuing dishonest gain. In other words, it doesn't mean that a pastor, an elder, a bishop, an overseer shouldn't be paid. But it means that they shouldn't be pursuing dishonest gain. And, and we're going to leave it there and move on. But this word, uh, not pursuing, but eager to serve. Eager is a strong word meaning with enthusiasm, with energy, with excitement. Woohoo! But the real thing, and that is, I can't help myself sometimes. I think I even did that at the funeral Sunday morning. A funeral? And you're going, woohoo! Well, hey, yeah, Dolores is in heaven. Why not? So as we think about this, that's the idea. And, and you know what? It, it can sometimes be difficult to be enthusiastic when we're facing the attacks of the devil and leading a church through suffering and persecution. It wasn't a lot of fun, folks. I got to tell you, when we were going through the whole two years or how many ever we count of COVID, that was hard. I remember Paul and Scott and I being here in the auditorium all by ourselves, looking at the camera. <laughs> it was, whoa, but, but the, it, the, this idea, eager, it's a big picture word for the long haul. That needs to characterize. It doesn't mean that you don't get up one morning and be discouraged or tired and struggle. It doesn't mean that you don't sit with your friends and pastors and weep because your heart aches. But it means we're over the long haul, excited and enthused about what God's called us to do. Thirdly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leading dependently. 
rather than forcibly. Leading sheep, not driving cattle. The Bible calls God's people sheep. It doesn't call them cattle. You drive cattle. You lead sheep. And it's critical. We lead by example. Now you're saying, Glenn, you're painting a big target on your back. And Scott's too. Yes, I am. But not really. I'm not painting it. God does. It's right here. It's right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what Paul says. Look at verse 16 and 17. I got it on the screen if you want to find it. This is, this is so good. Paul says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Are you kidding? Are you a narcissist, Paul? No. No, because look what he says. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. Imitate my way of life. What? In Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. That is a message or two right there. Imitate me. Why? Because my way of life is in Christ Jesus. It must agree with what I teach. What do I teach? Right here. My life must imitate what the Bible says as a pastor and a leader and a shepherd and an elder and an overseer I need to be. That's what Peter is talking about. Paul says it again at the end in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians when he says, be followers of me. Again, it's a, wait a minute, Paul, you got on this ego trip? No, be followers of me. And he goes on, he says, even as I am of Christ, you follow me because I'm following Jesus. Moms and dads, that's what you ought to be saying to your kids. We wonder why the next generation is not going to church. Because mom and dad stopped, that's why. Because mom and dad spent more Sundays than they ought to on an athletic field somewhere than here. I better stop there. <laughs> Secondly, second biblical essential, godly followership. Pastoral leadership, godly followership. Here it is. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. Man, Peter, always talking about submission. I thought we were over that. We were talking about that back in chapter 2 and 3, and now you bring it up where you're finishing it up. You've gotten out of that, and now you're back at it. But that's what it says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. That's the sheep. That's the church being submissive to the authority that God has given the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the overseer, the shepherd. You may be thinking, what does all this have to do with us? We would just spend all kinds of time talking about the elders, and you would say, well, there's only a few elders here. Um, how does this fit with all of us? Well, here's how it fits right here, because... Peter says, you who are younger. Now, some of your translations may say younger men. I really believe that it, it means literally just younger. That's what we have in the NIV. That's what the ESV says, I think, because that's what Peter means. He's talking to the younger set, the younger crowd, men and women. 
In, in the New Testament church, it was often talked about age. And that was just like male, female, young, and old. It was, it was just the same kind of a thing. And he's talking to the younger generation. You say, well, why? Why would he single out the younger people? And he doesn't give, well, what is that, 25 to 35 or 15 to 40? What's that? We don't know. But what we do know is simply, he says, the younger generation. And, and you say, okay, so why would Peter do that? Well, we really don't know. Many commentators would say because they believe that um, the younger generation would be more apt to struggle with submitting to authority. Just look around our country. Ask school teachers. Ask bus drivers. As coaches, right? That, that's where we are. It's, it's not a new thing. We act like this has never happened before. No, it's always been there. But, but I think, but we don't know. Is that really why? It could very well be. It, it does fit, but we really don't know. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Because Peter still says, the Bible still says, that the younger are to submit themselves to their elders. And you say, well, is that like my mom and dad used to say all the time? Hey, you, you respect your elders. Was he talking about the pastors in the church? No. What's he talking about here, though? Well, some might say it's the older people in the church. I think that doesn't make sense because when you look at the context of the first five verses, Peter's talking about elders as pastors. Why would all of a sudden in the next verse he change? In the same context, I believe when he says in verse 5, he's talking about submitting to your pastors, the younger people in the church. Not just men, but younger people. And, and then we read, as we're thinking about that, I want you to notice he says in the same way. The connection seems to be that just as the elders have a God-ordained task to perform, so also do those who are younger. Just as the elders lead their churches and are under the authority of the chief shepherd, we skipped over verse 4 of chapter 5, but Peter talks about the chief shepherd who's going to reward the pastors one day for a job well done. Talks about there the, the, uh, the crown of glory, which many believe is the pastor's crown. And, and so there it is. Pastors are accountable to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. I am accountable. I will one day have to give an account to Jesus for how I have shepherded his flock. That's what Peter's saying. And in the same way, so are people in the church going to have to give an account. We read that in Scripture and how we lived not just under the authority of the elders, but how we lived isn't pleasing to God. Not for our sin, but how we used our life, our resources, our time, our energy, our bodies to give glory to God. So as we look at this, again, submission, what does Peter mean? Well, I found this, came across and adjusted a little bit, but I, I, I like this idea as explaining what does it mean for God's people, the younger generation? Where's that line? I don't know. Peter doesn't say. What does it mean to be submissive to the leadership of the church? Three things. Number one, to defer as opposed to debate. The verb here means to defer to the authority of. That is what the word submit means. To defer to the authority of. 
It is not an issue that is open to debate. The idea of being submissive to the pastoral authority. That, that's, folks, this is a hard thing for me. I told Scott this morning as I, we were praying together. For me to stand up here and tell you, you're, you're responsible to, to put yourself under the submission of the pastoral leadership in this church. And, and that's me. It's like I'm standing up here tooting my own horn, right? Well, Paul already said, but don't do it as lording over the people. Paul didn't say, Peter didn't say, I cracked the whip and you better move. That's kind of what we used to say to our kids, right? Don't ask me why, just do it. Because I said so. No, that doesn't work. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not what Paul says. That's not what Jesus means. But as we talk about this, it's critical that we defer to the authority. It doesn't mean you have to agree all the time. But we defer to the authority of rather than debate. Can we have discussion? And, and yes, absolutely. Conversations. That's so often what doesn't happen. You'd be amazed when people leave. I don't mean our church, but churches all over the place for years. People leave churches and you never know they're gone. Till they call you and say, I'm really ticked off because nobody has called me. What do you mean? Well, um, well we left the church. Oh. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize you'd been faithful enough in the beginning to know you were gone. <laughs> Boy, I better move on. <laughs> Defer as opposed to debate. Cooperate as opposed to frustrate. When it comes to responding to the authority of the pastor, we're talking about a spirit of cooperation. That's what it needs to be. That's my heart. That's Scott's heart. That's any pastor I know's heart. Cooperate rather than an attitude of dissatisfaction. You know, it's like your kids. You just think about that when you're raising your kids. And if you're a kid here, sorry, kids. I'm not picking on you because I was a kid once right? It's like there's always that. Sometimes I just didn't like what my mom and dad told me to do, but I needed to do that. I needed to simply cooperate. Why? Because they were my mom and dad. They were my God-given authority, and, and, and I knew more than they did, but then that's stuff. You know how that goes, right? Kids, old kids too, right? And it's critical that it's not an attitude of dissatisfaction, but a spirit of cooperation. Thirdly, support as opposed to tolerate. And I think you know the difference. Peter's describing a willingness to support the pastor's direction rather than just tolerating or putting up with it. If you're just tolerating what God wants us to do as a church, we're going to have a hard time, all of us. There's an eagerness to get behind the leadership that God has placed in the church. And I hope that because we are, and, and we mess up, sometimes I'm a dumb shepherd Absolutely, I admit that to you this morning. Sometimes I had no idea what we're supposed to do during COVID. People are angry about this, and people are angry about the same issue, but over here, it's like, what do we do? Nobody's ever been through this before. Wow, folks, we need to work together. So what now? That's followership. Defer is to debate, cooperate is to frustrate, support is to tolerate. 
So how do we respond to Peter's teaching? Two things. Number one, humility. Because that's how he ends verse 5. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I think I have that on the screen. Um, but you have it. You can look at it right here. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That's the church, the body, the flock together toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We get ahead into verse 6. We're going to talk more about what humility means because Peter says there, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. But hum humility, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Secondly, obedience. The writer of the book of Hebrews lays out some amazing truths. Verse 7, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We just talked about what it means to be an example, to be an imitator of Jesus. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. Consider the outcome of the way those who God has placed in your life as leaders. And then look at verse 17. Having confidence in your leaders and submit to the, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I told you that earlier. Scott and I and any other pastor in this world who ever has been or ever will be must give an account to God for the way we shepherd the sheep. Right there. Do this. What? Submit to their authority. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Your pastors, elders, shepherds will one day give an account. So the humility, the obedience is for all of us. Pastors, elders, people, sheep. Same thing. We all need to be humble with one another and obedient to our responsibilities as listed in the Word of God. Each of us will one day give an account for how we have lived our lives for the glory of God. Not to be judged by our sin. That happened at the cross. And you know what? That's what Paul, Peter says in verse 4. He talks about the crown of glory. The rewards that will be ours. That's when we give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Is to be rewarded. Not punished. Rewarded. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's the shepherd, the chief shepherd of our church. And God, I pray that you would help us as a group of believers to move forward as the days get more difficult, and they will. The Bible says so. Help us to follow, to obey, to be humble. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.